Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest British comics. Uh, I'm Eamon Clark, and it is a welcome return to the book club for probably the first episode of January 2024 for a writer from 2000 AD, but also for DC, Marvel, Doctor Who comics, film, and much, much more. Hello, James Peaty. James, welcome back. Hello, Eamon. Pleasure to be back. That's great stuff. Thank you for coming back on the book club. And we've got an interesting uh, gem, a short but uh, sweet gem to talk about in a few moments. First of all, of course, um, I say this is coming out in January. The day we're recording is the day after the sad passing of Ian Gibson. And we both wanted to just take a moment to acknowledge uh, the life and works of one of the 2000 AD legends, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a huge part of 2008 isn't he i mean in terms of the those early years and the kind of the golden period in the into the early 80s i mean he's i'm trying to think when the first time i saw his work but it was it's sort of always there <laughs> in those early years yeah and then i remember reading his stuff uh, when he moved that little move into america when he did mr miracle for a little while i remember that coming out very good work on that and then the avengers the the steed of mrs peel i should say mm-hmm which I think got, did that get reprinted a little while ago? It has been reprinted not that long ago, yes. And in fact, I was just reading John Freeman's Down the Tubes um, sort of memorial piece about him. And they also, on that article, they reprinted the Steed and Mrs. Peel cover he did for the Amazing Heroes magazine as well. Um, But yeah, I think the Steed and Mrs. Peel stuff got reprinted a year or so ago. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it was about nineteen ninety. It came out, wasn't it? Yeah. I remember Morrison did the, the did the main strip. Yeah, no, I, I mean he was just a huge, huge figure. I mean, whether it's Robo Hunter, whether it's you know Dread. Um, when I was during lockdown, I did all the I did a reread of all the early Dreads, the first maybe ten volumes of the collection, and um, how much he's in it, and also how many different pseudonyms he uses. <laughs> Which is which is great. It's, I like that's Ian Gibson. Yeah, it's, uh, but he's a. I mean, and obviously you can't not mention Halo Jones. I mean, it's just that's you know the kind of the jewel in the the heart of two thousand eight day really, isn't it? I mean, it's 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 such a brilliant strip, and it wouldn't be as brilliant a strip if it wasn't for him. Yeah, as great as Alamore is, it's so great. Ian's work on that. Halo Jones, of course, has come up several times in this podcast, and I have this morning joined the trend that a lot of people are posting, which is to post that last page from Halo Jones, book three, where she gets on board the spaceship and she's just going out. And it ends with that beautiful portrait of Halo Jones by Ian Gibson. Yeah. Um, A wonderful image. And, yeah, just... um, well, hopefully a fitting tribute to one of the greats, one of the legends of the uh, those early years of 2000 AD. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know what they'll do, but I'm sure there'll be some memorial for him at some point. Yeah, hope so. Yeah. Probably news of that by, um, by the time this episode comes out, but we'll see. Yeah, I thought so. Just very quickly, James, you've previously done episodes 113 about Screamer, 143 Detective Comics, and then 177 HMS Nightshade. Uh, one of my favourites now. And, of course, John Wagner is back writing some sort of filling-in timey-wimey stories about Nightshade yeah. with um, Dan Cornwall on Battle Action. What did you make of the news stories? Well, we got in very – obviously, we were very prescient, weren't we, yes. with our uh, covering of that before it uh, 
suddenly was rediscovered as this amazing piece of work. Mm. Um, I said, yeah, I think the, the, the ones they're, they're doing some more, aren't they? I they think are, for yes. more. Yeah. The, the one that's the one that was in issue one, I thought was great. I thought that was one of the highlights of the of the run of mm. the of the recent five issue thing. It's really beautifully done. It's a lovely story. Um, it's got some great touches in it. It's very in keeping with the with the strip itself. It doesn't kind of detract from it. It's a nice little addition. Obviously, Dan's not Mike Western, so it's never going to have that. So, and it's in color, so there's it's a it's kind of a different thing. But I thought it was a it's a lovely sh- short story. That one, I thought it was that was really great. Um, I don't know how much he's going to do. Is he doing another one-off, or is he doing some? Uh, as far as I know, there's a story in the 2024 Battle Action series, or at least the series that starts in 2024. So hopefully, yes, there are some more one-off stories to do. Um, I, but yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to them. You know, since you introduced me to it, it's one of now one of my favourites. Um, so very pleased to have John uh, back on it, and I think John's enjoying it as well. Hopefully, <laughs> he should, he must be um, to go back and do some more. I mean, I think it's it's one of those strips that I think you can go back and reread it, and it doesn't diminish. I think you get more from it, and I think maybe some of the other strips, maybe that's not so true. I mean, of that period, they they, they have that wonderful nostalgia to them. But I think there's something really powerful in that because maybe it's the setting on the boat. Maybe it's the way that all the, the kind of dynamics of the crew are. And I think it's, I prefer it actually to Darkies Mob by quite a, quite a way mm. as a, as a, not just as a story, but I think as a collaboration between the two of them as well. I think it's, there's something really sort of special about that strip and it's kind of great to see it sort of, have its moment in the sun because for you, I, I thought I imagined it for years. <laughs> I'd read it when I was a kid when it was reprinted, and isn't it was never talked about. And now you know it's 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 great, but it's great. I think the other thing with the them having the kind of treasury of British comics, there's now that kind of desire to rediscover these things that there's an audience for this stuff. There's no um, news of a reprint, is there? For, Rebellion one, Not yet. a Rebellion reprint. No, we're still stuck with the Titan hardback one. Yeah. yeah. It's in the Garth Ennis Present series, isn't it? Yeah, and I wonder if they'll do... Maybe there's a there's a kind of zhuzhed-up, remastered version of that that could be, that could be done at some point. Um, I'd hope so, with maybe the new strips in as well. But by the way, I mean, if anyone hasn't picked up that um, Titan collection that's out there, go and get them, because it's, it's great. It is great. Okay, let me turn you to today's book, and I'll just say in advance, a very popular selection that since you picked, I've had a few people try to <laughs> offer really? up to do it. Yes, yeah, so I said it was already bagsied. Tell us what we're talking about today in the book club, uh, James. We are talking about a piece of social realist fiction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kitchen sink drama. No, we're, talk- we're, we're doing a Hooligan's Haircut, which is strip by Peter Milligan and Jamie Hewlett um, from... 1990 yes so kind of that period where this is kind of pre the launch of the magazine isn't it i think about yeah just about so it's in that period of crisis has been launched revolvers about to happen there's this kind of mushrooming of british creative comic book talent that whole generation is really kind of coming to the fore the what's in that carl stocks book actually that's that's just been published that comic book punk i'd say a lot of the this is kind of in that sweet spot, isn't it? Where he goes up to 95, I think, in the book. I haven't read it yet, but this yeah. 90 is kind of where it all 
this is just before judgment on Gotham, isn't it? So this is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of mainstream kind of brouhaha around comics at this point. And obviously deadline is in the background as well. There's a, there's, so there's a load of stuff going on and it's an unusual strip because it's Jamie Hewlett in the prog. Which we didn't get all that much of, uh, sadly. Um, we yeah. So Hooligan's Haircut, a story in eight partings by Peter Milligan and Jimmy Jamie Hewlett, uh, edited by Richard Burton. Prog 700 to 707 in 1990. We've both got a rebellion trade from 2010. And you quite rightly pointed out the introduction is by Peter Milligan. The uh, I got confused because there's a Matt Smith introduction in the hardback Ultimate Collection version. Um, mm. So, first question, why this one for the book club? I think we mentioned this when I did the very first one, didn't mm. we? So we've, we've, we've had a couple of diversions along the way um, into the world of Wagner and Grant. Um, I remember it, I think it it probably came out after, Screamer was a year before. I guess I was, I can't remember, when was when was Prog 700? When in the year was that, do you oh, know? Gosh, I, I, yeah. Let's assume I was about 14, around right. the time, 14, 15. 1990, I'd have been 15, maybe I was 14, but nearly. So it's kind of a key point in your kind of uh, your, your adolescence and growing up. I was aware of the American comics. I'd started going to kind of conventions. I was aware of sort of um, Pete, I think, was starting to do Batman around this time as well. Um, I was aware of his other stuff. I was aware of Deadline. I'd been to sort of the first UK. Yeah, so you're aware of it. And then there was this strip that was going to be in kind of Prog 700. And I think it's also because it's a big... Isn't this the first prog after Necropolis? Oh, right, yes. Is that right? Uh, I'd have to bring up Barney and just check. Why don't I do that? And we'll just... Uh... Yeah, because yeah. I think this was when... I think there's the strip in 700 is the one that Steve Dillon drew the, after with Jasper Povey coming back. Right. I think, where Dread School scarred up. and So there was just, this was the big push towards things being... There were more colour strips, weren't there, at this time? And it was obviously, as it was 700, it was a big sort of like relaunch issue. So, yes, Prog, uh, Necropolis ends in 699, you're quite oh. right. And then uh, October 1990, Prog 700 comes out. So I, I think, why is this important? Because it's probably the one where I first jumped on to buy it regularly. Right. I'd bought it intermittently before then, but I think this was the kind of gateway drug to kind of end of Necropolis, start of the new stuff, because Wagner leaves and Garth Ennis comes in within about six to nine months, isn't that right? I think I was on Dread and yeah. Democracy, all that stuff. So I was. this is when I was kind of coming into the, the comic regularly for the how many years I read it for, you know, sort of like continuously. Um, so obviously it made a big impact then. Um, it's kind of an unusual strip for, for 2018. <laughs> As we said, it's unusual because it's Jamie um, drawing it. Uh, not unusual for Pete because he's written a lot for the comic over the years and still does. But it's something, it's kind of, it, it's never been, there was nothing before it and it's never been added to afterwards. Right. And it's a perfect kind of eight part sort of, I don't know, little kind of microcosm. It's its own thing, isn't it? And there's, I guess there is a precedent for it within 2008. There's the stuff for Brendan, the, um, is it sooner or later? Yes. And they'd kind of done that Swifties um, return, hadn't they? For With Jamie, yeah. For Jamie. When was that, 88? I think like so, yeah. What did we put in our notes? 88, yeah. Yeah, so it was 89, 
89 it says here, I think. Right. But it's eight, so it was around then. So there's a kind of bit of precedent, but not too much. And I wouldn't say probably, what do you think since? Is also of Zilk? Well, that's interesting because also of Zilk is in the hardback collection with this as well. Oh, is it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, you could see that. It's um, definitely part of that. And I'd also say that if you go to was, – was Revolver out at this point? It must have been. And I, I think if you – if you, I don't know if how much you've got of that or covered it, but Rogue and Josh was happening around this time as well, yeah. wasn't it? Have you, done, have you done that on the book club? No, that hasn't come up or been no. picked as yet, no. Put mark it down. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's an amazing piece of work as well. And I think there's a kind of lot of – there's a sort of correlation between the two of those that they're doing. That's some of Brendan's best work, yeah. I think. That's without a doubt. Um, there's a similar kind of surreal kind of madcap quality to it. It's different, obviously, because it's in, in, a, in a more adult comic. But um, I think there's a bit of kind of connectivity between the two. Mm. So okay. I think it's – yeah. Okay. Give us the surreal setup. <laughs> of Hooligan's haircut. Um, what is this story, at least in the elevator? Yeah. <laughs> the elevator goes down and then it goes back up and then it goes sideways. Um, it's um, it's the story of a character called Hooligan, you know, spelt, you know, which is a kind of conflation of uh, Pete, Pete Milligan and Jamie Hewlett's names. A hooligan is an inmate of, I think, the Five Seasons Mental Hospital. I can't remember what it's actually described as in the in the book. Um, psychiatric institution or whatever and he's basically got very long hair hasn't he yeah there's a nurse um, she's got what's her name she sits at the beginning it's it's on the first page so it'd be easy to find Nurse Hatter Nurse Hatter that tells you exactly where we're going here Um, gives him a pair of NHS plastic um, scissors doesn't she to cut his hair and essentially he cuts his hair into a kind of strange sort of sigil size shape, big thing with a hole in the middle. And it turns out that that's a kind of sort of tuning fork, isn't it? For different realities. He sort of, uh, he upsets the balance of (laughs) reality, which means that kind of madness and craziness from all other realities starts pouring into to his one, although we're not sure whether it's in his one or is he moving through other worlds. He's doing a bit of both, isn't he? So it's mm. kind of like, let's just say the rationality disappears pretty quickly if it was ever there. Um, and then what you have over the eight parts is is Hooligan, who's got this amazing haircut, discovering that this haircut has got magical properties. He, he gets together with his, um, his I guess he's, he's, he meets a, a girl on the way, Scarlet O'Gas Meter, who's from another world. And they have a kind of sort of odyssey, don't they, across the parallels. And then he has a haircut again and his sort of powers disappear. <laughs> there's a great use of colour in black and white, isn't there, at the top and tail of the strip as well. Yes. Um, when he seems he was, to be back in what we might call reality, it's in black and white, and then it switches to technicolour, doesn't it? Has he ever left? Is it all, is it all kind of madness? Is it all kind of... I mean, Pete does this a lot, these kind of states of consciousness doesn't he there's a bit of that in enigma there's a lot of that in rogue and josh there's a lot of that in sooner or later there's a lot of that in you know you can you know <laughs> you could put a pin in it there's a lot of it out there but this is you know so but what's great about this i think it's very unusual that it's in 2000 ad it's got quite a sweet heart to it there's no real threat 
in the story. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit like I would say it's like watching, sorry, like reading. I don't know a comic version of, and they've done a comic version of this, haven't they? Yellow Submarine is what it is. Oh, right, on. yes, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a bit like that, but it's kind of a love story. It's sweet. It's kind of. It's just going back and rereading it. I think it had such. A, it's got such a good heart to it. Yes, and it's definitely aimed younger, I think, than some of the other. There are the, the odd. There's the odd kind of off-color gag mm. <laughs> in there, but compared to a lot of the other things, it's definitely aimed at a 2000 AD, which is still in a way, a comic for younger people mm-hmm. compared to what Crisis and Revolver maybe were at that time as well. So, And I think it's brilliantly done, and I think it's probably Jamie's best work as a, as a comics artist, I, I'd say. And we will come to Jamie's wonderful, colourful artwork in a moment. We'll stick with Peter Milligan and his writing to begin with. Yeah. Um, as you say, this wonderful story, this lovely love story in the middle of it, as uh, Hooligan and Scarlet have their madcap adventures as reality seems to sort of fall apart around them. What did you... Because we've talked about, obviously, Peter, when we did Screamer. What did you make of his writing this time on Hooligan's haircut? Oh, this is more... I mean, obviously, I think Screamer's very different. Screamer's very dark, very... Um much more structured isn't it it's much more of a kind of it's much more of a tighter plot um and obviously that's working in american comics and i can't remember is it six issues eight issues i can't remember but it's a, it's a fair old schlep isn't it that story um this is kind of like a riff i think this is it it's a bit and it's quiet it's sort of almost like writing a song <laughs> Or poetry, it's got a bit of that, or even write an ad copy, it's got a bit of that. There's this kind of interplay, but I think the fact that their names are kind of merged is that it's very much, a, I don't know how he wrote it, whether it was full script or whether it was giving Jamie as much leeway as possible, but it seems that there's a real fusion between what he's doing and what Jamie's doing on the page. And there's it's got that kind of, it's got quite of a liquid quality, I think, to it. It's very, you mentioned about sort of the wordplay and stuff yes. like that. It's... It's very Joycean like that, isn't it? Or it could be moo cows and things like that. It's all that kind of, it's got that kind of slightly da-da sort of quality to it. But it's a little bit like um, he did some stuff in, um, uh, when he wrote Animal Man. Yeah. I think it's quite similar to that. I don't know if you've read his Animal Man. Yes. Arc. Not completely, because obviously that's aimed a bit older as well, but there are elements of that which I think are very similar to what he's doing here, that kind of absurdist thing. But with heart, there's, that's the thing that always, I find, works really well with the work. I think, I mean, I mean, obviously the obvious parallel to, to him working is someone like Grant Morrison, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I always find that Pete's work is more human. Um. Which is not to say that I don't think someone grants it. I think things like the, the Animal Man was his own run on the moment. That's why Pete followed him on Animal Man. It's, there's obviously a connection there. And I think some of the stuff he did in Doom Patrol, um, that last issue of Doom Patrol, where they go find Crazy Jane on the bridge, is one of the best things he's, Morrison's ever written. But I don't think he has that same level of humanity that that Pete has. Um which is there in all of the work, all the way through, in all different ways, and 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 he's 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 got written a vast amount of stuff, and and it's very very there's a lot of very different stuff as well, um, but I guess there's a bit of X Force in there as well, you know, there's a little bit of that. I think maybe 
bubbling away. So he's got those, that's kind of one element of what he does, I think. Um, and this is kind of a very good example of that. And it's boiled down in a very, it's, and it's, as I said, it's, just, it's, it's its own thing. It's eight parts. That's it. Beautiful little thing. Um, mm. It is, obviously, we're going to come to the visual inventiveness of it and the, the massive amount of stuff that's going on in each page. But it is, for Peter, it's very verbally inventive as well. And it was strange enough, James Joyce, that popped into my head when I was reading it again. And then I remembered that you'd pointed out on Screamer that Peter Milligan had actually quoted or, you know, cited Finnegan's Wake as an influence on Screamer. All the way through, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, Finnegan's Wake is incredibly challenging and I've never made my way through it, but (laughs) Hewligan's haircut has this wonderful playfulness about the language, about the chapter titles, about the just the weird adventures that they're getting into. Um, Really terrific stuff. As you say, perhaps aimed slightly younger than some of Peter's other works, but really terrific stuff from Peter Milligan on this one. Yeah, no, I think one thing, the thing that's really interesting as well is he always kind of juxtaposes all that kind of highfalutin kind of literary references with some kind of, with a, with a kind of low culture kind of reference. You know, I think one of, isn't one of them never put your daughter on the stage, Mrs. Worthington? Yes. One of there's, a, there's a whole kind of element of that that runs through his, through the work as well. And I don't think it's just that, but in other, the other th- series that he's done down the years, there's all, so there's always, a, he's a very, you know, there's a class element to what he writes which is always very lurking in the background um um and this and he's very funny i think that's the other thing as well all of it's funny he's very he's very amusing but even you go back to sort of like you talk about the the putting in references to to finnegan's wake and joyce in in screamer but i remember as a teenager i bought the naked lunch oh right his naked lunch because he, it was mentioned in Animal Man. Right. Oh, I better read that. Yeah. And in one of there's a Batman story that he did. It's the first one. It's the one that Kieran Dwyer draw, draws, the Riddler one, um, where Alfred's reading the Crying of Lot Forty Nine by Thomas Pynchon. And um, you know that's of course he would. Yeah. <laughs> so guess what? I went and bought that. You know because I was an impressionable fourteen year old. So uh, that's. I think there's a lot of that in his stuff. He, he made you, you know, he he definitely made you aware of a world outside of comic books. That the refer, I think the thing is, the references are not just of, they're not just comic books and say cult TV, which for some people that is what they do. But I think there's the references of the of the literature. I think they're kind of more elegantly woven into the stories, say, than in something like Alan Moore's work. Actually, right, yeah. I do sometimes feel with Alan Moore's work that you're being hit around the head mm. to be told how clever it is, yes. um, which I probably is sacrilege to say that out loud, but hey, you know, I'm old now. It doesn't matter. Um, whereas I think with that, it's much more, I think I remember Morrison being saying that he thought Enigma was a more adult and mature superhero story than something like Watchmen. Um, which I think there's a, there's definitely a case to be made for that. I think that, that, that that's, I think that's one of the things he brings to the to the table as a creator. And what makes him unique, actually, amongst all the all the British creators of that era, is genuinely literary. There's for some reason I've just opened on the first page of part six or part in six where he does the gag 
which I think he's taking from the Fly movie, where he says, last night I dreamt I was a shredded wheat. This morning I can no longer remember whether I was a man who dreamt he was a shredded wheat or a shredded <laughs> wheat dream and it was a continental breakfast, which I, yeah. for some reason I just love that gag. Um, yeah. Did That's- you, I mean, you know, you're a writer now, James. You read uh, Thomas Pynchon, you read uh, Burgess, you read Joyce, but of course you read Peter Milligan. Did you find that sort of stuff having influences on your own work now? <laughs> well, it's hard to say, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I don't think you can you can um, not sort of imbibe all that stuff when you're that age, and it not kind of make a make a mark. I mean, what I loved about Wagner, Grant, and Pete Milligan is they were never snobby about what work they did. You know, so they were working on Batman. They were working on. I reread a lot of the Batman's in the last couple of years as well because they've been re-released in trades for like the first time in thirty odd years, and they're so good, so good, um, genuinely brilliant. Um, so I, w- I was obviously always kind of. I think I was drawn to that that you could do this in a kind of very accessible and mainstream fashion. Um. So yes, I'd say. Undoubtedly, there's a, there there was an influence, um, but I mean, you, 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 there's you, you know, life's full of influences, isn't it? There's 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 you know, you can't you you can't be Peter Milligan. You can't write like Peter Milligan. You can't write like Alan Moore. You know, you can't write like you know, um, I don't know. You, you can't like Robert Holmes <laughs> to pull one out of the air. There, you can't do that. You know, you got well, Dennis Potter. You know, you can you can be kind of influenced and have certain sort of um, parts of your synapses kind of fired off by that. But you kind of do find you try and do your own thing as well as poor or developed or as successful. I'm saying whatever, you know, they all go into the pot, I think. But he'd definitely be a he's definitely a huge flavor in the pot. I mean, I think when I was doing Doctor Who, I would a lot of the time I would think about that. Actually, I remember consciously thinking of Shade on a couple of stories I did for that. Not to rip it off, but I did one with a giant smile in the sky. I don't know if you've ever read that one. It was a 12th Doctor one I did with Warren, please. And um, I remember that thinking that that was very Doom Patrol-y, very Animal Man-y, very kind of, that was very much very much um, drawn from Shade. And there's a bit in, there is definitely a bit in, there's a bit in the second book of Skip Tracer, the one that Colin McNeil drew. There's a giant head that starts talking to him there and is, that's yes. there is and that's i was thinking of the jfk story in shade have you ever read that one yeah the yes. kennedy sphinx that yeah. comes out the road yeah yeah that's that was i was definitely thinking of that and i think i did a last the, the, the very last dot two story i did actually i was kind of thinking of probably it's actually very similar to hooligan's haircut thinking about it someone locked in a kind of dream world meets a girl that's not the girl you know, it, it, it was part of that road to the 13th Doctor thing I did. It was called Tulpa, which I think is also, I then discovered afterwards was a story, is the name of a story in detective comics that Alan Grant wrote, which I'd completely forgotten about until I reread the thing. And it was like, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, were no, there were no ideas. I'd been thinking of Twin Peaks, actually, because they, they talk about Tulpas in that. So it was this kind of dream thing. So there's a lot of that in that story, actually. And, and that is... I kind of didn't start off thinking that, but when I, when I was writing it, I thought, no, this is, I'm going to lean into that. This is like, this is, this feels very of a piece with that. So I would say, yes, there is definitely some, a lot of influence in 
No. Um, for good or for real. <laughs> and you've mentioned, obviously, several of Peter Milligan's works on various different comics over the years. And, of course, still working for 2000 AD, probably Zorster of Zilk is the most recent one. Um, what was your favourite of Peter Milligan's work? He didn't do that, did he? Uh, I thought it was. Oh, no, you're right. It's... Um, it's Brendan McCarthy and Al Ewing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then oh, someone yeah. else. Is it Dave Bailey did the second one? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I don't think he's worked for Brendan for a long time, actually. No, right. But what about his, your favourites of his work? Of Pete's? Yes. Ooh, my favourites. Um, I, do like, I, love Rogue, I do love Rogan Josh. I think that's brilliant. Right. Um Enigma. My, actually, I'll tell you my, my single favourite is Face. Have you ever read that? No. That Dean Ormston, uh, not Dean, uh, Duncan Fregredo drew it. It's, it. They did a, it was about three years into Vertigo. And um, they started doing these things called, these one-offs. They weren't like, um, they were like big comics. They were like 60 pages or something like that, but they were not prestige books. They were comic books vertigo visions or something like that i think kill your boyfriend was one as well oh right yeah i remember that one philip bomb yeah um and i always remember it was um the 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 tagline for this was um there was three i think there was one that jamie delano did with al davison called tainted i'm pretty sure it was the kill your boyfriend was the other one and then the, the other one was was face and they sold the the tagline was i think it was mary quant meets mary shelley which was which is perfect, but it's about a kind of it's a it's a you you could see it as a nineteen seventies horror movie, mm. British horror movie. It's set on an island. It's very doc. There's a kind of weird Doctor Five thing, but there's more than that going on in it. It's about a plastic surgeon and someone who's doing plastic surgery to kind of like turn them people into kind of like cubist, distorted art. <laughs> and it's um it's a kind of. It's hard to kind of classify, but it's some of Duncan's best work, and it's. I think that's brilliant. It's a it's it's a self contained thing. It's be a perfect movie. But it's never been made. Okay, been, I think people have flirted around like doing stuff with it over the years, but it's like I remember reading that when it came out and thinking that that is that's kind of like a perfect comic. It's almost like the perfect example of Vertigo at its absolute peak. So that's brilliant, and I don't think that's ever been reprinted. And then I would say, I mean, The Extremist is a really good series. I don't know if you've read that. Yes, that's yeah, I remember that one. That's genuinely out there. Yeah. Uh, well, well, what else? You know, I think, as I said, I, I really love the, I really love the detective comics and Batman stuff that he did with the more mainstream stuff. I really love the six issues of Animal Man that he did. I think they're they're great. Um, and Screamer, I think, is 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 great. I mean, I'm I'm not so I'm not so sold on the the, the superhero stuff. A bit later on, I'm not huge yet, but I really liked his Hellblazer. I thought Hellblazer was great when he took it over. That story, Scab, where it was all to do with the strikes, wasn't it? And he had the giant John Constantine had the giant scab on his chest. Oh right, okay. It's got a mange. That was great. And he did a lot of series, didn't he, for for Vertigo that kind of didn't go very far. Like there was Greek Street that had that were kind of killed before they could really develop any. I mean, and obviously Shade. We, we talk about yeah. strips. Shade is the kind of obvious one. I think the beginning of Shade is brilliant. The first couple of years, maybe it's not as strong as it goes on, and some of the other 
Vertigo books. I think he's a great writer of things with an ending in particular. I think he, that's he, he's a brilliant at, at writing. You know, the six issue, the the arc, the kind of that type of thing. Which you know, the face, all the things I love the most are the things that really do have a kind of you know a kind of conclusion. I guess really, Screamer. I think is brilliant. I think it's one of the best things that Vertigo ever published, even though Vertigo didn't exist <laughs> when it came out. So yeah, I, those, those would those would be the ones. I mean, more recently, I mean, I don't really read as much comics full stop these days but of the things he's done more recently some of the things for awa and was it aftershock he was doing there's some good stuff in there as well some interest some really interesting stuff so i yeah i i but those would be the ones though that for me those are the ones and some uh, fodder there for future episodes of the book club perhaps um you mentioned Shade the Changer Man because, of course, I think Jamie Hewlett did some covers for that. Um, yes, he followed. I think McCarthy did the first right one, first year or so, and then Jamie took over. Yeah. So let's turn to Jamie Hewlett, uh, who I've got in our notes was recruited out of art college by Brett Ewins to work on Deadline, and of course famously creates Tank Girl in issue one, 1988, with Alan Martin. Um, mm-hmm. Here we have, working with Peter Milligan, Jamie Hewlett, in the pages of the prog, bursting from black and white into colour. Mm. Um, we've already said it is a visually inventive strip. Tell us a little bit about what you made of the artwork on Hooligan's haircut. Well, it's kind of like, I think the thing that's interesting is that I, I, the thing that struck me going back and rereading it is how well structured it is. I mean, I think, you know, there's there's the madness of the strip and there's the kind of breaking the borders, but the, the, the rigour of the layouts actually is the thing that I thought was really striking, is that how, yeah, you can go full bleed at certain points. Yeah, he's doing some really mad stuff, um, evoking different art styles. There's that Cubist page, isn't there? Yeah, there's a Cubist <laughs> yeah. page, yeah. It reminded me of Inside Out. You remember the, the Pixar film? Oh, right, it? yes, yeah. They go into the kind of, I can't remember, they go to an abstract thing, don't they, and get turned into, yeah, it was a bit like that. Um, I think you can really, I think he's a very different artist to Brendan McCarthy, even though they get kind of lumped in together. There's a much more of a kind of, um, there's more of a, I don't know, there's more of a, there seems more of a 60s kind of, psychedelic obvious influence in Brendan's work. Whereas I'd say with Jamie, you can definitely tell he's much, he comes from a, an animation background. I think he worked for Bob Godfrey in his very, he was very young in that animation studio. And I think you can see that. And I think you can see a little bit of rhubarb and custard and stuff like that in. Da-na-na-na. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you can kind of see it on the cover as well. Actually, the sort of the. Yes. They're running towards you. There's, so there's an element of that, I think, in it, which I think is really strong when you look at it like that. And I think he's. I think the thing that he's under, you know, everyone says, oh, the weird kind of faces and the weird designs, but the cartooning is great as well. Yeah. Wonderful cartooning, very cartoony in its, and in its style, as you say, when compared perhaps to Brendan McCarthy. But using um, different art styles, the Cubist page, the collage page, there's an Andy Warhol page, which we may return to later on. We may do, yes. There is a page from the Prisoner television series. 
yes, yeah. with the, with the little uh, car, toy cars. Yeah. The little, with the little, yes, the little toy cars, wonderful. And a lot of stuff going on in the background of panels, lots of little gags going on, lots of little extra weird characters uh, popping up. As you say, that marvellous cover, which was the cover for Prog 701 of this weird creature galloping towards us with um, uh, yeah. Hooligan on its back and then little sort of angels of Milligan and Hewlett themselves That's hanging right. from his hair. Um, yeah. Well, there's... Um, it, it, yeah, it's got it's it's, it's definitely got the, the, the that kind of anarchic kind of cartooning element to it. But it's um I don't know, it's it, it's a very I think it, it it's one of those book strips. It looks quite it looks very silly and light on the surface, but it's packed with so much sophistication on a visual level. Even before you get to the kind of the kind of the the funny one-liners and the gags and all the rest of it, but it's it's that's why I think it's like its best work. I think it's just a tour de force of like what a, what a talented individual he is. Mm. Um, and away from the thing with Tank Girl, you know, great characters, great kit that he designs in all that. But this is just, it, it's almost like he's unleashed, I think. here. Someone's like, turn the valve off, haven't they? The safety valve, there's no safety. <laughs> and yet there's a lot of rigour to it. I did notice as well, I did wonder, you know, the whole thing of getting the deadlines and all the rest of it, that Philip Bonds, I think, pinches in on a couple of episodes. I just noticed that credit this morning on one of them, yeah. on one of the issues, the partings, but yes. And obviously Philip draws not dissimilarly to, no. in terms of the cartoon. He's not, this, he's a different artist in some respects, but there's a lot of similarities between the two of them as well. So clearly it was, it was, I wouldn't have wanted to be Richard Burton. <laughs> and I wondered when that, if, where, where they scheduled it, whether they, it was ever kind of, <laughs> Was it scheduled well in advance? Was it scheduled? Because I couldn't, I can't imagine that it would be, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but then these are the days of them having an enormous amounts of stuff in drawers, isn't it? So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I can't imagine for a second that this would have sat around. I've noticed that the hardback lists Tom Frame Pericles is doing the lettering. Mm. Um, everything else, as you say, Philip Bond, and then it's all Jamie Hewlett on the colours and design, I presume. And how much of it was in the script from Peter Milligan and how much of it is Jamie Hewlett just going rampant with these crazy little background <laughs> cartoons and sketches, Scarlet Agasmi to draw in a door on a wall that shit they can step, yeah, escape yeah. through and uh, stuff like that. Um, tremendous. Of course, he's probably... We're sort of talking about his comic book work, but he's probably best known now for helping co-create the virtual band Gorillas with Damon Albarn. But um, absolutely, yeah. Here he is in the pages of 2000 AD uh, and doing wonderful stuff on a nice self-contained eight-issue story. Um, well, we talk, we talk about the, the, his his limited amount of comics work for 2000 AD, but it's his limited amount of comics work. Full stop. Isn't yes, it? I think. Was there much after they did? They did a mini series, a Tank Girl mini series in ninety five, ninety six, I think. For Milligan wrote it, Jamie drew it for Vertigo, and I don't think there's that much more right. in terms of interiors after that. I mean, he did. He was off doing the kind of advertising and you know music design. I think he did a strip for pulp didn't he um for common people we did i remember him doing the covers of like the cud and senseless things records in the early 90s i think it's senseless was it senseless things album that he did the cover to 
was definitely one of the singles. It was it, that. Remember that at the time, their whole kind of thing was very um, the Grebo rock, crusty sort of rock. Was very you know that was that. But they, that cover, the image that, that he had on the records, that was very very stuffy. It was all over the way that 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 record was <coughs> was sold and marketed. Pardon me. So yeah, so he moved in. He moved in. Definitely moved away from comics pretty quickly. Yes, obviously, Tank Girl his um one of his major creations and 1995 i think was when the tank girl movie came out the other british comic book character who got a movie that year um, but there were three big ones weren't there that year there was the batman forever right it was when batman discovered um nipples <laughs> um there was a uh, tank girl and judge dread that came out i remember getting called up i was at ucac that year <laughs> and they said there was a panel they were doing and someone put they said has anyone seen all three <laughs> And I ended up going on stage yeah. with Dave Bishop and I think it was Alan Grant and someone else. And it was like, basically, <laughs> weren't they all shit? <laughs> it was like, <laughs> um, but yes, he did. I mean, I, I, it rarely turns up, Tank Girl. I mean, and we, we were talking about Doctor Who, Rachel Talale, who directed the yeah. Star Wars a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that that film kind of killed her career as a film director. She'd had a couple of. She directed one of the Nightmare on Elm Street. The first, her first film was like a Nightmare on Elm Street film, which was quite successful. And she did another one. That was the big um, opportunity, wasn't it? And yeah. it just big dampener on everybody's career. It turned. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it kind of killed Tank Girl as a character as well. And I mean, the, the Dread film didn't kill Dread, but it. I don't think it helped Dread. Not the way people thought it would. No, no. I think they made a certain amount of money in the short to medium term. Or like the the with the light whatever there was that was around at that time, but in terms of the character, no, it took. Well, I think what it did for both of those characters was it took away any semblance of cool, right? And um, Tank Girl definitely. Tank Girl was just kind of like it's kind of amusing mess. It's one of the first. It's the first time I ever saw Naomi Watts in a film, right? Because <laughs> she's Jet Girl in in it, isn't she? I think. But um, it's I always remember Ice T in the kangaroo suit. Yes. It's just Malcolm, <laughs> McDowell's, Malcolm McDowell's the villain, isn't he, I think? Well, it is going to come up on Mega City Film Club, actually. Is it really? And also, somebody has picked to do Tank Girl fairly early in 2024, so both the comic and the uh, the film will be coming up later this year. Oh, I, I anticipate that with great uh, with glee. <laughs> we will fall into the world of Tank Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so it was, you know, it's... um. That he's definitely known for that, but he was. I mean, when did Deadline go? About 95, 96 as well. That finished, yeah, yeah. So, you know, when that went, what was there for him? He did that strip in um, the face that got adapted. Is it called Meet the Free? I can't remember what it's called, but it was adapted into Foo Action. Do you remember that from yeah, BBC yeah. Three? BBC Three in about 2000. And, do you remember Being Human, the yeah. series? Yeah. 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 BBC Three did a load of pilots for shows that they were going to make into series. Is when BBC Three were doing Torchwood and all those things to try and get do more original shows uh, on that channel. And one of the pilots was Foo Action, which was based on a strip that Hewlett did for, I think it was The Face. And Eurus Lin, who directed quite a lot of the Dot Twos, directed the pilot. Jamie Winston was in the pilot. Oh, right. And BBC Three aired the pilot. BBC Three said they were going to make that into a series 
and Being Human wasn't going to be one of the shows that got made. And then there was some kind of online outrage. More people liked Being Human. They'd already decided they were going to commission for action. And then it was going to be, it was commissioned for a six part series and then it got decommissioned. Never happened. And they made Being Human instead. So his work kind of nearly happened in a live action sense. And that kind of pilot has disappeared almost from the, I don't mean, I'm sure it must be out there somewhere on like in the internet, everything does, but it's sort of, that's a forgotten kind of footnote in his, uh, <laughs> his meteoric rise after that, because then obviously he ended up living with uh, Damon Albarn in their flat. And um, coming he, up with a virtual band. And came up, came up with a virtual band. I mean, and obviously, you know, that, was far more successful for him than anything else and far more successful for Damon Albarn than Blur. I think Gorillaz sold way more records than than Blur ever did. And certainly internationally. I think they, they were... And obviously his look, the look of those characters and the look of the videos and everything was completely, you know... so Pure Jamie Hewlett. Yeah. So... Hewlett's haircut, eight partings. Um, we'll turn back to Jamie Hewlett's art and we'll play Grail Pages, uh, James. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, not a number of, not that vast number of episodes to choose from, which also makes it easier, but at the same time harder. What have you gone for, for a couple of pages or covers? Well, there's, I think, the first appearance of Scarlet, which is a double page spread. Where it makes you turn the comic sideways. That makes you turn the comic sideways. Yeah which is pretty fantastic. And the Warhol page. Classic Warhol of the repetitive image, but with yeah. different colour tones. Uh, there's even the Campbell's tomato soup on that page as that well. Um, yeah. Both pages featuring the wonderful heroine, Scarlet Ogasmita. Um, and we're going to give you those. So we're going to give you a double-page spread where it makes you turn the comic sideways. Thank you very much. And a Warhol page where... Um, the images mostly stay the same, but the colour changes, and there's plenty of wonderful Peter Milligan dialogue on there as well. Yeah. Um, and I guess knowing your admiration for Peter Milligan, you'd quite want the dialogue boxes as well on the page. <laughs> well, you know, it, can't be it would good. be nice. It would be nice. It would be nice. I asked Pete, I said, sent them through to you, didn't I? I emailed him some questions about the. Uh, Oh, yes, let's talk about that, because you did have a conversation with Peter about this. I did, yes, just sent me an email. and um, He mentioned how the strip came to be, in a way. Yeah, yeah. He said, he said it, was, um, it was very much, he just liked still working in British comics. He was saying that he was working in, well, I'll read what he says. He's talking about, I said, despite your overseas work, you'd stay connected to British comics with work for Revolve on Crisis. How did Hooligan's haircut come about and what was the creative impetus behind that story? He said, Revolve on Crisis were good platforms to tell dark or weird stories. A lot of my stories for American publishers, those set in America, Shade, for example, still had what you might you call, what you might call a British sensibility and it was especially rewarding to work with these British publications. Hooligan's haircut came about through discussions with Jamie. He was living in Worthing and I'd sometimes visit him and some of the other young scallywags who were living down there. I think the idea of a haircut so insane, so unlikely that it could alter the nature of reality probably grew organically out of a friendly argument about which hair gel one should use. To emphasise the joint nature of the enterprise, we wanted the hero's name to be a portmanteau word. We quickly nixed the idea of millet 
<laughs> it sounded too much like an insect with a lot of legs. Although, sounds like mullet, I think. Yeah. You know, could have gone there. But I think they probably were right not to go that, though maybe that would have been appropriate, and settled for hooligan instead. It was more euphonious with the pleasing echo of hooligan. So, and where did you meet Jamie? Um, I don't remember where I first met him, a convention maybe, or one of my sign-ins. I think we pretty much always talked about doing something together. I wanted to do something that intrigued me that was a 2000 AD story, more in the spirit of sooner or later than the usual stuff you found in there. And I or we always wanted something that would be a platform for Jamie's energetic and creative style, something weird, but maybe with a hint of silliness or lightheartedness at its heart. And Hooligan was the product of that. Um, what I did ask him about, and it's, it's, it's um, what I really remember about the book, is it was collected very quickly after it was um, serialised. Mm. And it was at that period where Fleetway, they had the Maxwell money, <laughs> and, and very quickly Maxwell took all the money. <laughs> um, but it was at that point where they were publishing the graphic novels, and they did, they'd done Slain, hadn't they, at that point, the first one which was a really big deal when that came out. And this was very close after. It was an oversized heart. Have you ever seen the graphic novel? No, not that one, no. No, and I don't know how you, where you get it. It was oversized and it had the haircut sort of cut like a stencil cover. Right. So you opened it and it had a hole in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and then it had them on the back and they did a big tour around the country to kind of promote it. So it was at that period of where comics were, were cool. And obviously, you know, uh, Fleetway had a marketing budget. <laughs> that they were spending that I think obviously they would spend when they did the magazine as well later on, you know, never underestimate quite how much they put into all that. Um, so I said to him about that. There was a lovely collection, oversized collection that was released just after the strip was serialized. And there was a sign into us to, su- to support it. Did it feel like there was a lot of possibility to create diverse homegrown work in Britain at the time? And he said, I don't know about that exactly, but there was a buzz around comics, um, what they could do and what they could mean. Brendan and I had published pushed the boundaries at 2000 AD with sooner or later and had also or were about to publish Skin, which was a comic that would have been unthinkable not so many years before. For some people, it was still unthinkable when it was due for publication in crisis, which is why it didn't get published there. <laughs> um, I think it was Tundra, wasn't it, eventually yeah. came in, up in, the, in the end. And I asked him about Hooligan's haircut in the context of his broader work. And in, I said it sort of stands apart in terms of 2000 AD. He says, it fits very snugly with what I've done, maybe on the outer stranger wing of my oeuvre. I have very warm feelings towards Hooligan. In fact, I have a lovely page of art from Jamie from one of the episodes with Hooligan and the love of his life, Scarlet O'Gasmeter. So I think he feels fondly towards it. Good. Well, thank you for contacting him and thank you to Peter for getting back to us about it as well. And he mentions he's got a page of Hooligan from Jamie. Um, I did have a look on comic art fans there are a couple of pages up there and there's also notably a page i mentioned from the first issue of deadline featuring the first tank girl a tank girl page that's currently for sale on comic art fans for around twenty five thousand us dollars so i was going to say how much of this pages? <laughs> <laughs> it's not so, like people it's not like getting a jack kirby page is it you know yeah. there's, there's many many hundreds of thousands of those in circulation it's like um there's not that many Jamie Hewlett pages. There are not. Um, no. uh, I've actually got. Go. I just found before I came on I, the the strip from Face. It's called Get the Freebies. Ah, right. So if you have a look online, there's a sort of, I guess it's a digital version of the magazine that's been uploaded to some site, and you can flick through, and they're all kind of. It's got the first episode of that in it. Right. It's oh, quite okay. interesting. That was in the Face magazine, we think. Yeah, that was 96, I think. 
Very exciting. I'm just going to go back to Grail pages and give you that double page spread and the Warhol page, and I will probably just pick the cover from Prog 701 that becomes the cover of the hardback and the trade edition that we've got, just as you say, for that wonderful madcap energy. And also, now you've mentioned rhubarb and custard, and I can't sort of unsee that. Or you know. No, no, no. You, you, the music's there in your the music's the there, yeah. <laughs> Oh, what a great show. The paperback's out of print. You might still be able to get a hold of the Hachette uh, Ultimate Collection, Volume 54, which has, as we say, Hooligan's Haircut. It's got Sooner or Later in there. It's got mm. the Sorcerer of Zilk. It's got a couple of other little Brendan McCarthy, uh, Peter Milligan short um, Future Shocks at the back, I notice, as well. Um, yes, I've got the digital version of that yeah. trade. Isn't there a um, there's in the the the, um, the rebellion version? There's the there's the red story he did with Brendan. Yes, tucked away at the back. What's it called? Spock's mock chocks. Yeah, Rip Island Grant. It's yeah. yeah. That's that's actually really that's really bonkers. <laughs> As well. we would expect from artwork by Hewlett and McCarthy. And there's a cover from Judge, the Judge Dread Annual, isn't it? I think of '91 that's at the back in the gallery. That's the cover of um, the the collection. Oh right, yes, that's that one. Yeah, yeah, and that was um, that had a hole in it. <laughs> had a hole where the hair is. Yes. Yeah, you can get hair, Hooligan's haircut digitally from the 2008 store for only four ninety nine. I think this paperback is out of print now, but the the digital collection dead cheap. Uh, really worth it because it's a terrific story with um, the wonders of Jamie Hewlett's artwork and Peter Milligan's inventive wordplay, and it's just fantastic. Um, it's great stuff, James. Thank you for picking it. Yeah, well, it, when, I, when we mentioned it before, it was like, it, I was surprised no one had mentioned it, actually. <laughs> but I guess when you get past the obvious ones in the history of 2000 AD, this is one of the ones that's kind of, it's got some real value to it. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. got, and, and, and I think people who read it remember it. Um, they do, and and like I say, since you picked it, I've had several people ask me if they could do it on the book clubs, and I have to say it was Bagseed already, but there you go. You got in there. I got there. In 2019. <laughs> and we may be returning to uh, Peter Milligan and possibly Rogan Josh in the future. Yes, yeah, yeah, that would be great. I don't know if there's a collection of that around now. No, we shall have to look into that afterwards. I bought. I, I did buy through uh, in Gosh, going into Gosh in their bins, um, an almost complete run of Revolver. Ah, nice. Which recently, which obviously my wife wasn't very happy about because it smelled mildew. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> but I re- I reread well, not all of it, but most of it, and it was like, yeah, it's great. And the Dare, the Dan Dare that's in that as well, the the Ryan Hughes and and Grant Morrison one, is another great. And I think really interesting piece of work from that period, if only for Ryan Hughes's artwork on that, which is absolutely sumptuous. They're actually, interesting. There's um, there is a little section we talk about of um, Jamie's work. He did draw, I think, eight pages of Doom Patrol issue fifty, which right. is in the collections. And if you're ever interested in seeing his version of the Doom Patrol, it's great. <laughs> Um, it's in one of the trades. It's in like the fourth trade of the, that Morrison run. I can't remember what that one's called, but it's in, I think it's volume four, but it's, it's yeah, there's, he did a section in that and it's fantastic. 
it's really really good his version of robot man in particular is very good and the love glove i think is one of the characters in it who's a, he does very brilliantly as well so pick that up if you if you have a chance i will i can look out for it um james we turn to guest projects uh let's start with skip tracer which was there's a collection that came out last year, as we record, 2022, of Skip Tracer Legion that's yes, still that available. That was the first two books. Yes. So it's one it's annoying. On the cover, I think they only quote the only um credit Paul Marshall. And in, he, he does half of it. Because the other half Neil. Colin is the other half, yeah. So that came out as a digital trade last year. I have no idea if they, they didn't tell me where that was coming out. So <laughs> and if they'll tell me if another one comes out, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, that's, that's out. And that's it's nice to have that kind of collected because it's because the whole thing is finished now. So that was kind of my lockdown project was, uh, I think I had loads of that stuff kind of commissioned back to back. So I was, I was working through it over a two year period pretty much. Um, and then it was, um, yeah, so we did seven books of that. Right. Did. So I don't know how it works in collecting it when they do it in a trade with two book volumes, but hey, they'll, 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 I'm sure they'll work it out. They'll work it out, yes. Yeah. So yeah, that came out that last year. That was that, and that was good to see. I'm, a bit, I'm I'm really glad that Paul did so much work in it. I'm slightly sad that we didn't get to do more, a bit more with Colin. I'd like to have done maybe one more with Colin because I think his, his version of it is really is interesting. It's, it's sort of similar but different, obviously, because they're very different artists. And um, I was in my mind, I was kind of thinking of them flipping between the, every other one. Right. <laughs> that, isn't, that, isn't what, that isn't what Tharg chose. So, uh, um, But it's kind of interesting that that had to have a very different art style in that second trade. And I'm not sure Colin's done very much outside of Dread, has he? I mean, he did, I know he did Surfer recently. But, yes. Uh, it's all very much dread world stuff. I don't think yeah. he's done very much that's not dread related in the last ten years. I was going to say insurrection, but obviously that's dread world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Outside of the dread stuff, I don't or, or dread related stuff. I don't think there's very much. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's so. out, and more collections hopefully to come. Hopefully, Diamond Dogs in the magazine with Warren Police. That finished. We finished that as well. Um, we had Armitage in the last book of that. Um, which we did as a net, we ended it. That was always designed to sort of end. I'm very glad we did that. And I'm glad we got this. We did it with Warren all the way through. Right. So I don't know if there are any plans for that. I'm not sure. Um, Again, they never tell you. (laughs) Hopefully there'll be a collection of that (laughs) at some point. Yes. Yeah. Because there's quite a lot of that. I think it's about, I think each story is 48 pages. So it's what, what, 120. So it's about, there's maybe the last ones, there's seven parts in the last one. So, 150 pages that's a decent sized collection if they if they do that and warren did some great work on that as well i think it'd be great to to see that collected in a in one volume down the line and i've been doing i've been done some i did i've done some dread in the last year or so the cadet dreads i did a a couple oh that's right for the regenes you did didn't you yeah yeah i did three of those i did the, the last one i did was turned out really great with um uh joe curry right who's terrific and that was really enjoyable to do. I really enjoyed writing Dread. That's the only time I've written Dread, so that was a, that's been quite fun. And I did the I did other stuff. I did well. Most of the stuff I've done in the last couple of year, last year and a half has been for the Regine progs. I did, and a lot of that's been collected because those come out in those um, <clears throat> the Regine trades 
intermittently whenever yes. they I think there's another one coming out. There's a couple of the dreads are in there. There's a, I did a series, a two part, I did two episodes of a thing called um, Scooter and Jinx, which is a bit like this type of stuff, especially the second one. And then I did Bladers. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Last thing I did with um, Lee Gallagher did the first one. And then the, re- the second one just came out. Just came out, yes. Not long ago. And that's weird. Who did that? I'm trying to remember who drew that. Sorry. Apologies. I'll get to it. But that, yeah, that, that was, that, that was good. That turned out, that turned out quite nicely. It was a nice, nice strip. I was asked to do a sports strip and it was like, well, how'd you do a sports strip? Hmm. <laughs> you need to come up with the sport. That's the hardest thing. What's the sport? But it can't be. <laughs> yeah. So it was, that was, yeah, that was. And so I think w- Bladers could still carry on, isn't it? Yeah, yes. I've not, um, I've not spoken to Matt about doing any more with it, but it could, um, and it could come back in the regened. I mean, it's it's sort of designed to do, to do that. I did a future shock for them. The last thing I've just written a future shock for a guy called um, uh, Seda Osgen, who's a who's a German artist. I think he's doing his first work for the Prog which should be out in the, early in the new year, right. um, which was good fun. Yeah, that was good. And I've, I was talking to Matt last week. I'm going to do some more stuff in the new year, but a bit too early to uh, say what we're going to do. But I've been very busy. The last two, last year and a half, I've been very busy. I've, been, I've done, done an enormous amount of teaching. I've been teaching, you know, and an enormous amount of traveling. I have to get over to Richmond to teach at this uh, <laughs> university, which is a kind of enormous trek. So I've been, and I've been doing quite a lot of courses down there, which I didn't expect. So I've been, my, my writing time has been somewhat limited in the last six months. So um, hopefully in the new year, that will, uh, that well, it will open up a little bit more and, I had some other stuff I was doing. I did. A, I wrote a short play that was on up at the Southwark Playhouse last year, start of this year. And um, the film stuff I've been working on is, as always with film projects, <laughs> you end up talking to people about money. Yes. And that the the, the torture <laughs> of that is 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 ongoing. We didn't talk about this with people again. I mean, people again wrote a film for Ray Liotta, didn't they? Back in the day, did, did you not know that? Uh, film yeah. Pilgrim, yeah, yeah, film that was directed by. I think it was one of the guys who was involved in Twin Peaks was one of the directors. He, he wrote a couple of films. He wrote Pilgrim, which is a Ray Liotta movie, and he wrote another. He kind of like a British fifties, sixties set children's film called An Angel for May, which you can get on DVD. Which was also made by I think Harley Payton, who was a guy who was involved in Twin Peaks. So he had his um, interest. The, 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 the horror stories of working with. A- <laughs> <laughs> any independent producers or, 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 or financiers is uh, I'm sure you could get him on. He'd tell you stories that your hair that would curl your hair, you know, it's, um, but yeah, so, so we're, I've been sort of doing that. And, you know, the one thing you learn as you get older and, 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 and ask bit, bitter, bitter experience tells you never to say anything until it's sorted out. So uh, I, that's the, that's, those are the main things at the moment. That's what I'm sort of, doing there's a couple of scripts that are out with people and we shall see okay well talking about film i'll just note that you also turned up on the writers on film podcast in august of 23 talking about um summer blockbusters and thor and oppenheimer and more i think yeah well i've done i've done a few of those all right with john 
we did a whole one on jo- John Wagner, film adaptations of John Wagner. Ah, okay. Have you not heard that? Oh, that no, I haven't listened to that one. No. I'll find it. I'll send you the link. Um, okay. I think we did, um, we obviously did a history of violence and we did the dread films. And did we do anything else? But that must be it. Must I don't think there's anything else, but with those are the ones we did. Um, and then I did one about, we did one about comic book movies in general. And then we did one about the one about blockbusters. We did, we blockbusters talked about and Oppenheimer. Yes. And then we did a one. Um, he recently did an interview with my mate, Mark, who I work with on about, which is really good. I'd, everyone should listen to this. It's about William Friedkin's Sorcerer. Right. Oh yeah. My friend Mark has just written a book on that. And then I also did a, I did, John's got another podcast, which is a cinema Italia. And we did a, we did a, we did an episode all about a very obscure um, Italian Elia Petri film called, um, I think it's Citizen Above Suspicion, Investigation into a Citizen Above Suspicion. I don't know if you've ever heard or seen that. Yeah. It's a fantastic Ital- early 70s Italian sort of Marxist <laughs> um, film noir almost. It's fantastic. It's a, it's a brilliant film, um, which my editor on my short film, one of my, a couple of my short films, who was Italian, we were working on the script. I was working on a short and it, there's obviously a, a script I'd written for a feature. And he said, he read it and he said, Oh, this reminds me of this. And I was like, Oh, what's that? And he kind of turned me onto Petri's stuff. And, um, it's got the guy from Volante, you know, who was in the first two, uh, Sergio Leone, Clint Eastwood, spaghetti right. Western for fistful of dollars, a few dollars more. You not recognize Volante. He's got this kind of face, but anyway, he's the lead character and he's basically a corrupt cop. And it's completely corrupt, and it's very Italian, you know, the whole – and it's very Italian in 1970s. <laughs> but it's brilliant. It's fantastic. And we did an episode on that, which was great, and we were talking about some of the kind of sort of the – what it reminded us of, who, who it influenced, stuff like – its influence on people like Scorsese and stuff like If you watch things like The Departed and sh- films like that, you can see its influence is, is pretty widespread. So um, – that was really good. And I know you, obviously you do the other podcasts as well mm. uh, that you'd probably be interested in that. Um, so yeah, we've done, th- I've done three with John. We've, we've been talking about doing the films of Alan Moore. Oh, right. Which would, which would be interesting. We were trying to work out what ones there are. There's from hell. There's league of extraordinary gentlemen. There's Watchmen. There's FIFA. FIFA. I guess those are the four, aren't they? Yeah. So we were talking about maybe doing that um, at some point next year. So that was that's that's good fun. And John, who John Bleasdale does that, is a very good writer and journalist. He's writing a book on Terence Malick at the moment, so he's uh, knee deep in his own uh, deadlines, I think. So, so look uh, for and link in the show notes to Writers on Film by John Bleasdale, with three episodes by James and then Mark Wheeler on Sorcerer quite recently, by the looks of it. Yeah, he did a bit. He's done a book on the making of Sorcerer. It's a fair, have you ever seen Sorcerer? Yes, but quite a while ago. But yeah, that's a it's a strange film. It's a very strange film, but it's very good. It's very, very, very bizarre. Um, well, yeah, I, I remember when back when I used to do film reviewing, I, I did interview Billy Freakin. And so that, that was probably about 11 years ago. So he died, he was nine, 89. He must have been about 78. And he was the most fantastic, provocative <laughs> human being to be in a room with it would be fair to say his age had not diminished him it would be it would be uh fair to say he, he was brilliant he was so good 
he was so good. It was around the time he did Killer Joe. I don't know if you've seen that with yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, and I haven't seen the film he made, the, 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 um, the is it the Kane Mutiny remake he did recently that's just turned up on streaming? It was the film he was making just before he died. Before he died, yeah. Um, no, which is very good. I haven't seen it yet, but um, his last few years, Bug and Killer Joe are both very good. Very good, very good films. So yeah, that was uh, he's got he's got that coming out. Sorcerer uh, Sorcerer deserves to be reappraised. There are I always think it's strange. There was meant Friedkin was nearly made a film of the spirit. Oh right, okay. And I dread to think what that would have been like. <laughs> Frank Miller on the spirit, or William Friedkin on the spirit. Well, I'd yeah. rather see Frank William Friedkin's spirit. Yeah. I've seen Frank Miller's spirit, and um, frankly, yes. We don't need to say anything else. No. Um, let's just say Frank didn't really make a film after that, did he? So uh, it was that was not one of the greatest experiences of my life, I have to say, sitting in the cinema. <laughs> so as I say, look in the show notes for links to James's projects okay. and to the, pod, the Writers on Film podcast and yep. lots of stuff to talk about there as well. James, thanks for coming back for a fourth appearance and for choosing Hooligan's haircut. Glad to have done that one eventually. We got there in the end. Yeah. Pleasure. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. Uh, follow us on megacitybookclub.com, on Facebook, on Instagram, Mastodon, Blue Sky, Threads, probably on Zonal Frequency and Modulator now, with any other social networks that uh, Peter Milligan and Jamie Hewlett have thought up. And email me, mcbcpodcast at gmail.com, if you've got a book of your own that you want to come on the book club and discuss. So until next time, when we're passing a judgment on another great haircut, it's a goodbye from me and... Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.